0: Hi, I hope you're having a great, great time and uh, enjoying these gatherings that you're having. We uh, have taken a look this week at relationships, and there's so many angles and different sides to relationships, but one of the things that we know is true is that we here at Timberline value small groups because we value relationships, and uh, Pastor Jeff, I think it'd be fun for you to kind of tell us a little story about what you experienced concerning small groups, Well, just very simply, uh,
1: I totally and absolutely believe in the value and the power of small groups because uh, there's something really intentional, isn't there, about being together for a purpose. I've had some of the very, very best times of my life in small groups, and I've had once or twice some of the worst. Do you ever go to those small groups where they decide to sing? But I went to this one where they sing, but the guy who was playing the guitar... He got to the chord eventually, but normally after the rest of us had moved on. And then the other thing was that the, the, this lady who was leading the group, she believed in, in head coverings, um, and, and she was sitting at a table at the time as she was leading this group. So when we got to the singing part, because there was a very real danger that she might actually pray, she grabbed the tablecloth, poured it over the top of her head, And then we sang a song in the key of G accompanied by the F chord, Uh, maybe the A minor, I'm not really sure. So uh, I just asked the Lord Jesus to come back at that point and and rescue us all. That said, it is absolutely true, is it not, that we really do need small groups. And Christy, you you are the the person in, in the Timberline team who is really responsible for leading us forward in our small group involvement.
2: Yeah. Well, let me first let me grab a tablecloth and <laughs> cover my head as I talk to you. But, no, um, <laughs> <very serious. laughs> All right. Well, um, we really do think that small groups are so important here at Timberline Church, and um, and that whole idea of intentional community and intentional relationship with people is really what God has set up um, with His people and has really encouraged us to do through the Word. Um, So much of the Word is not just about our relationship with God, but it's about our relationship with other people. And so um, we just want to have opportunities for people where they can connect with one another through relationship and can just take a journey together and to learn what it means to grow in relationship with God and then through that produce that fruit as they grow in relationship with each other. And so it's very important to the life of church and um, very important to all of us. And so we just really want to make sure that as much as we can, we are offering opportunities for you to get connected with other people and to understand what your um, place in, in the church is as you learn what your gifts are and what your abilities and your passions and how you can serve. and um, and so that's what it's all about is learning about um, God and learning about each other and really encouraging each other.
1: So relationships really matter and I really think it's time to turn the camera off because strangely in this little small group I feel a song coming on and <laughs> maybe you'd like
0: to join me Cut, please
2: <laughs> Hey, that's great.
0: And Pastor Derry will be unpacking that in just a little bit. But first, we are so pleased to have an update from Timberline Old Town and Everyday Joe's Coffee Shop here with us today. And part of the ministry of Timberline Old Town and Everyday Joe's has been accomplished by a wonderful gentleman by the name of Aaron Strumpel. And Aaron is... is is a great guy that just loves the lord and he loves to lead and, and participate in worship and so we're going to be privileged to hear some music from him he also has a table table number seven and after you hear him play i know you're going to want to pick up one of his cds after the service so would you do me a favor and give aaron a warm timberline welcome
3: thank you so much um i'm honored to be here this morning with you guys I love Fort Collins, I love Timberline. Um, I want to sing a song that comes from Psalm 118. I've always been inspired um, by David and how he prays in the Psalms. It um, seems like it's one of the most honest forms of prayer I've come across. He sings for joy and he laments. It seems like in one breath, and yet in the same breath he also says, I trust you, Lord. And, um, if you know this song, please sing along. If, uh, if, you, if you begin to pick it up, please sing along. Turn your ear to me, you will hear my cry for mercy, you will loosen things unseen, what can man do me? You will be my open trouble, you will be my place of refuge, you will cut these bindings free, what can man do me? You will lose some things unseen. What can man do to me? You will be my help in trouble. You will be my place of refuge. You will cut his spine and What can man do to me? I'll sing for joy in your place of rest. I'll sleep in. Resting on your chest and your voice will sound like a thousand waters your song will rush for ten thousand centuries you turn To me. You will hear my call for mercy. You will lose some things unseen. What can man do? You will be my help in trouble. You will be my place of refuge. You will cut these and free. What can man do? me? I'll sing for joy, in your place of oh, Sleep in peace resting on your chest And your voice will sound like a thousand waters Your song will rush for ten thousand centuries
4: Yes, sir. Mm. Aaron's a good man. Um, I've been listening to his music for four, four years now, I guess. and It'll change your heart a bit if you let it, so support him. He's got the table out in the mall area, and please support him if you can. And We'll be out there to talk afterwards, too, if you want. But my name is Chris. I'm one of the directors of Everyday Joe's Coffee House which is a non-profit coffee house and concert venue that's the outreach of Timberline Old Town Church. And Aaron comes and plays every once in a while on Sunday mornings at Timberline Old Town and he also plays concerts at Everyday Joe's. We have shows on Friday and Saturday nights. And he also does house shows to make part of his living. And about 4 months ago he was doing a house show in uh, our backyard and we had just moved into this neighborhood and we hadn't really told any of our neighbors we were going to be having a concert in our backyard. I figured I would just kind of see how it would go. And 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 Aaron's playing and we're in the backyard with him and we're listening, we're not necessarily singing with him, but we're listening and we're worshiping and we're just seeing creation, you know, around us and, and in what Aaron's doing and and gradually the neighbors started to come out on their decks. And then gradually the neighbors started to, to clap at the end of the songs, whether they really knew what the songs were about or not. And if, if Everyday Joes and Timberland Old Town were a person, I'm pretty sure they would be, it would be Aaron Strumpel, because Aaron takes his what he's called to do and his music, and he crosses over to the places that aren't safe, and he tries to have relationship and get in people's skin that you, that normally we may not do that with. And and Everyday Joe, as an outreach ministry, wants to do the same thing. Is We're, we're a coffee house all week long, and we just want to know the people that come through the doors. And we just want to love them with relationship. And we use really, really good coffee that will buy you if you come down, and then you pay me back. And <laughs> And really great live music. As a means to just getting to know people. Not as a bait and switch, but as a means to know people. And it's all about relationship, and they start to clap from the other side of the fence. And we want the counter that's between us at the coffee house and the people that come in to disappear. And we want to get in their skin a little. And on December 5th, every year we throw ourselves a benefit concert, the coffee house does. And on December 5th, we're going to have. The benefit show this year at the coffee house. It's at 144 South Mason in between Oak and Mountain in case no one's been down there. And uh, Aaron is actually the headliner. And he recorded an album called Elephants that you can get in the mall out there. He brought in people he loved from all over the country to record this album with him. And they're going to play through the, the album. And it's going to be beautiful. I've seen one show like that and it's pretty mind-blowing. And it's $10 advance, 12 at the door. It'll start at 7 p.m. Tickets will be on sale this week on the Coffeehouse website and down at Everyday Joe's. So I hope to see you there and get to know you. It'd be pleasant, I think. Darren?
5: Thank you, Chris Hess. He is the most interesting man in Fort Collins, west of Shields. He's a great director of the Coffeehouse, and he loves people. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Almost ten years ago, Timberline Church. I'm Darren Fred, by the way, the pastor at Timberline Old Town. I know some of you. But almost 10 years ago, this church said, let's let's plant a work down in Old Town Fort Collins and let's go where they are. Um, One condition, you have to love them. That's a nice sounding thing, but it's always harder to do than it sounds. But we are doing our best just to love people. And so are you. That's the call. If you've been here any time at all, and you haven't gotten that message to love this city, you you are not paying attention. Clean out your ears. Love is the call. We were trying to do that. We went to uh, Springfield, Missouri this past fall, summer, to love some people down there who are homeless. We worked with an organization and work with an organization called Homeless Gear. And they say, if you're going to be outside, have the right stuff. And so they distribute gear. And we did that in Springfield, Missouri, with some of the homeless, po- homeless population there. We gave them coffee that we had brought from our establishment. We, we repaired their bikes. We got to know their names. We just talked to them. By the end of the day, we were, we were dirty and unkempt and, and just kind of worn out. And one of our guys that had gone and given his shoes away... And he wanted to go out to eat. And I said, well, I don't want to go to eat. You can take my shoes because I guess you have to wear shoes at restaurants. But uh, so he did. And then I was shoeless and sweaty and dirty. And so I walked back down to where we had been working with some of the homeless folks. And by that time, another ministry had come and they were giving away sandwiches. And there I was with un- unkempt hair and dirt and no shoes. And they said, what did they say? Would you like a sandwich? And I was insulted. And offended. And I thought, what do you know? Because I have no shoes, you think I have no house and no sandwiches. And so I was offended for a little bit. And then then I thought about it. And I was proud that for a couple of beats, they thought I was one of them. And they treated me that way. And for just a moment, I don't know what it's like to be homeless. But for a moment, I was treated that way. For a moment, I was in their skin. And then I thought about... The story, that's the story, isn't it? He put on our skin, Jesus, God. He said, I will come and find out what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like in your skin. Whatever you think, he knows what it's like to be in my skin. And isn't that all any of us really want? Isn't that love when someone says, I will do my best to understand you? Don't you just want to be understood? And this is love. Get in their skin, the one you hate, the one who votes differently than you, the one who looks wrong for a moment. Let the the spirit of Christ get in their skin through you. And that's love. Keep doing it. We're going to do our best, Pastor Derry. Thank you for telling us to do
0: so. Yeah, we we love you guys for it. And we want to pray over you and with you. And just join me in prayer. They're on the front line here. Lord, thank you so much for Pastor Darren and Chris and their families and all the staff and the people they work with day in and day out. But most of all, just keep this kind of love alive in them. Lord, we just pray over them. We pray blessing upon them and the, the effort that they put their hands to. Would you bless that? God, we just ask you for this concert that's coming up, for Aaron and all of his work, and God, for the other ministries that they are so engaged in down in Old Town. We just thank you for them. We ask you to continue to give them ideas, creativity, and keep them living on full, strong with your spirit. In your name we pray this over them. Amen. Let's say thanks one more time to Chris and Darren. Thanks, you guys. Thanks the time. So good. Wow. Well, good morning. Hope you're doing well and enjoying life. It's always good to see you. And I, the weather can't make up its mind. I it was like supposed to snow and then it like got blue and now the wind came up. So I don't know. Who knows today? We don't know. But how many of you are just glad you're alive and well? Okay, that's yeah. I agree with that. We're celebrating just to be here. So we really do welcome you. Uh, we have been in a series called King of the Hill. It's a series from the Sermon on the Mount, as it is called. Jesus steps up onto the mountainside, and people gathered, and he began to tell them things. And, and it was a lot of interesting stuff he told them. And you'll see a lot in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, Jesus says stuff like, You have heard it said, but I say. He was trying to make a difference between what the kingdom of God was versus what the history said the kingdom of God was. What legalism said it was. Today we are looking at that tension that sometimes exists in what we think and what we don't yet quite know. I, uh, I, I've called this message the basement of the heart. And as I started thinking about that, the reason I did was because of our particular basement. I've I lived in several houses in my life that has a basement. How many of you have a basement in your house? How many of you have an unfinished basement? Basement. Okay, those of you who have finished basements, you make us sick. Okay, no, I'm not kidding. It's wonderful that you have it done. But man, when you have an unfinished basement, what happens in that basement? If I walked over to your house this afternoon and said, "Can I see your unfinished basement?" What would I find? I would find stuff, wouldn't I? I would find boxes that you haven't looked in in years. I would find. I bet I would even find an old suitcase that doesn't even have rollers on it. How many of you have one of those suitcases? See, look at that. And and, and 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 it just collects stuff. What do I do with this? I don't know. Take it downstairs. Even a finished space. Take it downstairs. There's this one room we put all that stuff in. And then and then when you die, your kids will have to clean out that basement. And that is your way of getting even with them. And they deserve it. Sometimes in our thinking, if we're not careful, we start going to the basement as the norm. If you can follow this metaphor. We're tired. We're weary. We have no vision. It's dark downstairs. The window wells don't give you a good view. And sometimes living life, if our thoughts and actions and attitudes start coming out of the basement of our heart, it's not going to be a pretty picture. That's exactly the crowd Jesus was dealing with. They were a religious crowd. They were living out of the basement. Now, I want to walk you through this. Take out your bulletin, follow along, and it'll it'll become clear as we walk through it. Number one in your notes, we've talked about the law last week, what it means to be truly righteous. And the, the law is this. The law calls us to the lowest and the least. The law calls us to the lowest and the least. Now, I want to explain. That's actually a quote from someone. That uh, I respect and I want to tell you that story in just a second, but let me read just a few verses out of Matthew 5 verse 21. Jesus is talking and he says, you have heard, there it is, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. How many of you are glad you did not live back then? If you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Why is Jesus saying what He's saying? He is trying to create a picture because the scribes, the Pharisees, those teachers of the law had, yes, taught the Ten Commandments, the law, but they had added their own laws to it. So Jesus is saying, you've heard it said of the Pharisees, you've heard it said of the scribes, that you need to do this and this and this and this. But I say, just do this and this. He's trying to undo some of what they've done, but in doing so, he's trying to raise the bar. Because the law, when you really think about it, it was former Attorney General John Ashcroft of the United States of America, who said this. We were sitting at a table and he leaned back in his chair and I was expecting this big discussion about the law and its power and its benefit and, and being abiding by the law. And, and he said this, well, you have to understand that really the law only calls us to our lowest and least. I was like, wait, wait a minute. What did I just hear you say? He said, no, the, the law is the lowest form of decency. You have to set a law because when you go below that, people get hurt. That's not where you want to live. As a matter of fact, he said this, and it really helped me understand. He said, it is not against the law to be stingy, but God wants us to be generous. So if you just abide by the law, that's living down here. That's the lowest and least. But God says, no, I have more than just abiding by the law. That got me thinking. It really made me think about a variety of things. Let me just use this as an example. Jesus talks about murder. There is a law and a commandment that says don't murder. How many of you think that's a good rule? Okay, I think it's a good rule. Okay? Let's say the chair is murder. Don't murder. However, Murder doesn't usually happen by just someone waking up one day and saying, I think I'm going to murder somebody. Now, I'm not talking about random violence or gang stuff. I know sometimes that stuff can happen. But I'm talking about a planned murder where someone's going to take someone out. You know what? It doesn't start with the act of murder. It starts way back on the scale. Does it start here? With saying, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do it? Or does it even go back farther than that? Does it start with maybe just being hurt by someone? Could it? Being angry with someone. See, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, be careful about your anger. Because even in your anger, that can lead to something more. That can, that can grow and then it piles up. And then you're resentful. And then you get hateful. And then venom starts to grow in your life. And then you're blind to reality. And then you want to take them out. And all of a sudden, bang. Murder. You didn't start out thinking you would actually commit murder. Jesus is saying, yeah, the law says don't murder, but I'm saying pay attention to the stuff in your mind. Pay attention to the hate. Pay attention to the need for violence. Pay attention to the thought processes that will eventually lead to something a lot worse. Murder is only a symptom of what happened way over here. Okay, so follow along because this is what Jesus wants. Let me go to point two. Jesus calls us to our highest and best. The law says lowest and least is fine. If you go beyond this, you break the law. You're going to go to jail. You're going to have to pay. But Jesus says, well, yeah, don't live down there. I'm calling you to the highest and best. Verse 27. You have heard the commandment that says, here he is again, you've heard this, you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his where? In his heart in his basement. that's what's going on. Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the matter. Okay, let's do it again. This is now adultery. Do you think adultery happens? Someone just wakes up someday and says, "Ah, oh, I hope I meet someone that I can commit adultery with tonight." Probably not. I'm not, not making light of adultery. I'm talking serious about it because it didn't start there. It started over here somewhere. It was started way over here somewhere. It started with an attraction. It started with a conversation. It started with a touch. It started with a kiss. It started with, with not defining the lines very well in your mind. It started with lust. It started with greed, selfishness, desire. It started with all these emotions that we could talk all day about. There are many ways in which this starts. And Jesus says, we all would agree that the law says, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, it starts back here with your eyes and with your hands and with those things that are deeper than what you know. He goes on to say something really radical. He says, you know what? If your eye offends you because of lust, gouge it out. He says, if your right arm offends you, cut it off. Now, I need to really be clear on this because the first and second century actually had to pass a law for people to stop cutting off their right arm and fucking out their right eye because people were doing that. And Jesus wasn't saying that body mutilation is okay. Okay? He wasn't. What he was saying is, there is a new standard to understand. You must take very seriously the need in your life to not wait till adultery is committed to examine your soul, your spirit man, your attitude, your life. You need to examine it way over here. If your eyes are causing you to lust, then you better do something about it right now. Because it's what it will lead to that creates the problem. So there are many challenges. Jesus calls us to His highest, our highest and best. Now let me just take a break just for a second here and say this to you. If we're not careful in this sermon, and I want to be really careful with this, it almost sounds like a salvation by works sermon. That I can do more, attain more, and earn my salvation and make God go, oh, they're really being good today. I'm not doing that. Your righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. You can't do anything more, but what we can be is under the grace of God, fully aware, living in the disciplines of His standards in our life, empowered by the Spirit, so that I don't fulfill those lusts of the flesh. That's the new expectation. It's not what the law says. It's what God says about the highest And the best. And that's where you and I are called to live. Number three. I In my mind, I was kind of doing this little thing of basement living versus balcony living. And those of you who have both in your home, we have a basement. We don't have a a balcony, but we have a window that's upstairs. And when I go up there, what happens is my view completely changes. When I'm in the basement, it's dark. I can't see. The lighting isn't that great. When you look out the window, you see this metal round thing. But when I go upstairs and I look out the balcony or the upstairs window, guess what? Man, I see the view. I have a different perspective. It's light. I can watch the storms. I can watch the sunrise or the sunset. I can see. And in our lives, God wants to help us not to just do basement living, but balcony living. Verse 33 says this. You have also heard, here it is again, that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. But I say don't even take any vows. Okay, Now to understand this passage, we have to go and understand the culture just for a moment. These people made oaths and promises and vows about everything. It would be like in our culture, have you ever said or you've talked to someone that wants you to believe them so bad that finally they're desperate and they say something like, Look, I swear on my mother's grave you know how many of you heard someone say something like that? Or I swear on the Bible, or whatever it is. And uh because basically they're saying, if I'm lying, then you know my mom would come back and beat me up. Right? It's just say, I, I swear on her grave out of respect, I would never lie to you. It's an oath based on a promise of a relationship. They did this, I've read through these oaths. This it's unbelievable. They had hundreds of oaths that they would say, little statements. But here's the thing that tickled me. Some of them were binding. And some of them were not binding. It's weird. Do you know if you made an oath by the altar, if you said, I promise you on the altar of God I will be there tomorrow, that oath is not binding. And people didn't expect it to be. That just meant I may come, I may not. But if you made an oath that said by the sacrifice on the altar I'll be there tomorrow, then you were held legally to it. So what happened, you're learning, you're growing up in a culture where you're learning what oaths are binding and what to say and how important it is to make this kind of oath and this kind of vow. So Jesus says, you've heard it said that you've got to get the oaths right. I just want to say this. Would you just stop messing around with that? I'm calling you that when you say yes, it means yes. When you say no, it means no. When you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there. When you sign something, it means you're good for it. Like shaking someone's hand. The deal is done. No more promises are needed. Some of you in the mortgage business and stuff, you know, you see this. La- I haven't been to a closing in a long time, but the last one I did go to, I was, I was tickled. We actually laughed about it in the room for a second because, you know, you sign a form that says this isn't a lie. Then you sign a form that says this was really your signature. Then you sign a form that says this is really you who is making this signature. Then you sign a form that says, and it just goes on in all these forms, on forms, on forms. That's it. Jesus is saying, can we be the people of God where it's not the lowest and least? Can people start to know us as the people who do what they say? The people who have integrity. The people of God who will do what God has put into our hearts. And when we say it, it's done. You know, if we do that, it will change this world. Because the culture we live in doesn't expect that. But God does. And we do. And let's be people that don't have to make vows. He goes on to talk about the divorce chair. I could use another example about how he says, you can't just get a divorce because you feel it's in, that you're incompatible. The law said a man could just look at his wife and decide he didn't want her anymore and write up a bill of divorce. Hand it to her and she was done. And she was an outcast in culture. Jesus said, you've heard it said that you can write up a bill of divorcement. Guess what? I say... It's not going to happen anymore. The reasons for that are really limited. And so he's raising the standard and raising the bar in our lives. And we need to pay attention to that. Okay, let me wrap it up. Let me just give you some practical ways to live out some principles here. And there could be a lot more than four. But I'm doing some of these this week. So I hope that you'll take some time, post these somewhere and think about it. Number one is practice self-control. Now, when I say practice self-control, that could be taken in a couple different ways. It could mean to you know engage in in self-control. Like practice it. Or it could mean practice as in practice the piano. How many of you took piano lessons as a kid? Okay, I did. My mom made us practice. So we'd come home from school. We'd sit down. It's time to practice. The teacher's not there. But you pluck away and you practice. I mean it in that sense. How can we practice self-control? When would be some times that we could practice it? The problem with it is that it has to be when it's a moment of tension. So, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think right now. Maybe you won't even want to write it down. I found two kind of what I called zones in my life where I tend to live a little irritated. So when I get in that particular zone, now it might be at work, it might be a certain person, it might even be the, a name of someone. Now, if, don't write their name down right now if they're seated next to you or something like that, that would not be good. Okay? But but all of us have buttons that can be pushed. Have you heard that phrase? That just pushes my button. Okay, well, write that down. Is it driving that pushes your button and traffic? Is it is it work? Is it financial stuff? Is it this person you work with? Is it that meeting? When When are your buttons pushed? Figure that out. And then when you go into that zone, I want you to practice. I want you to be thinking about, okay, I'm going into that zone. I'm going to be ticked off before I walk out of here today. And so I'm going to measure how I'm doing. And that will make you really aware. When you have that tough confrontation with that kid or that person or that worker, you just need to know you're going to get worked up. Anger is going to be there. But how can you do it? How can you trust in God? How can you change your behavior? Number two, encourage the right people to speak into your life. Encourage the right, notice I said the right people. (laughs) Don't let everyone speak into your life. Because everyone is not really interested in what you should be about as a person. But let the right people and ask them to. Would you monitor my life? Look at sometimes when you see me struggling, I want you to bring it up. Someone asked me last night, well, shouldn't your spouse be on that list? And I said, no, because they're going to give you their thoughts anyway. (laughs) But yes, they should be on the list as well. And don't be defensive when they do. You know, if someone comes up and says, man, I really sense that you're really angry. And you say, no, I'm not angry. <laughs> That's not going to help them, okay, <laughs> for next time. Number three, set your sights higher than the standard. Set your sights higher than the standard. This is, this is kind of the idea of what I was talking about before, the balcony living versus the basement. If you will set your sights on more than what the culture expects, now, young people hear me. I've, I've, well, I've thought a lot about this, and I get this. Well, yeah, but the culture kind of expects, you know, I've had young girls, teenagers say to me, well, you know, we've been dating a month, and he's really expecting a little more. Dump him. Don't let the culture decide what your moral standards are. Because the culture does not hold the moral standards that God holds. We better know that. Or we're going to be wounded. If all it is is don't end up committing adultery, then you're going to mess around clear over here with all kinds of lust issues and passion issues. You're never going to have fulfillment in Christ. So it's not about just doing what the culture expects. Raise the bar. I tell young people all the time, and I believe this. Look, if you get a job, if you'll just show up a little bit early... And you'll have great interest in your work. You'll just do a little more while you're there than what they hired you to do. And you'll stay a few minutes late. You won't be in a hurry to punch out the time clock. You'll probably own the company in a year. Because no one else is doing that. We live in a culture that just wants to do the minimum. Okay, what do I have to do? I'm getting paid how much? When's my first paycheck? What would happen if you walked in and said, no, I'm here to make the culture change when I'm here. I'm here to be responsible with this job. I'm here to be a joyful person amidst people who are not joyful. I'm going to bring something to this room today that not everyone can bring. Why? Because I have a standard of life that's higher than the cultures. It's important in our marriages, in every aspect of our lives. Last thing, number four. Find ways to measure your progress. Find ways to measure your progress. This is a tough one for the kinds of qualities and the things we're talking about today. Because they're not measured very easily. Example. If you're trying to lose 10 pounds, and you're changing your diet, exercising a little more, in my closet I have this little white box that I can pull out and put on the ground and step on it. And a number pops out at me. How many of you have one of those? Don't you hate that thing? And it's a truth teller. You say, well, no, mine's off a little bit. No, it isn't. You are lying to yourself. (laughs) right? That's easy to measure. The problem is, how do you measure if you are more joyful this month than you were last month? See what I mean by that? How, how can you measure if kindness has become the fruit of the Spirit that really God is using you in? How do, will you even know that? Or will it just happen? Or does someone have to come and tell you, you don't seem as irritable. And then that would make you mad. <laughs> I want to find ways where I can measure. I have a little process of mine where I can try to measure results in my life, and my patience, and my leadership, and the things that I'm doing in my life. And I don't always win at those, but find some measurables. Why? Because God doesn't want you to live in the basement. God wants you to see His world from the balcony of life and to know that there is hope and inspiration and empowerment through the Spirit of God in your life. And He's the giver of these gifts. Will you go there? Will you see that? Don't go to the lowest and least, but become His highest And best as he empowers you to do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for my friends today. I love these people. I thank you for their lives and their homes and their singleness and their marriage and their children. I thank you for young people and students in these buildings today, oh God. Thank you. Help us to get this right. We trust you now. We trust you now. I just want to pray over some of you who say, you know what? I'm I've settled for the least and the lowest and whatever that means to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. And it might not even be in an area we've talked about today, but you know there's a there's a there's a sense of compromise and and you're not happy about that. And it's almost a righteous indignation today that says, "You know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to buy that lie. I'm I'm a, I'm going to do what God's asking me to do and he's given me the strength to do it." I'm not going to live in the basement another day. How many of you just, there's something in you compelled to say, I'm in for that, and I just want to pray over you. Just hold up a hand. Hold up a hand. God bless you. Lord, you see the heart behind that hand. And I just, I ask you today to to be God who changes us from the inside out. Renew our minds. Thank you that we may have heard it said, but this is what you say. And you value us more than anyone else has ever valued us before. So help us to live in the standard You've called us to because we're empowered by You to do it, not in our own strength or righteousness. I thank You for it, God. And Lord, for those who are settling for less than Your best and living at the cultural low, I pray that they would raise the bar in their workplace, in their home, in their marriage, in their parenting, with their teenage friends. God, I pray that You'll help us to do that in a way that honors You. And, Lord, if there's one person in this room, these auditoriums today, that just need to say, I'm sorry for my sin, let them say it with me right now. Lord, I am sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. I believe you died on that cross for me, and you, you rose again. I need that forgiveness. And I choose to walk with you, your law, your words, upon my heart. I accept it by faith. In Jesus' name. And everyone said